0: Hey, elementary folks, you guys can head uh, K through two goes upstairs, and three through five is downstairs. So, well, if this is your first Sunday with us uh, ever or in a while, we've been uh, on a series uh, since kind of the school year began about uh, intimacy with Christ. In the last uh, couple of weeks, we've been talking about vision and how important it is to have a vision of the life God is calling us to, which fuels our desire to be with Him. Last week, we talked about and made this statement, desire is the fruit of vision. In the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about how important it is for each of us as Christians to have a compelling vision of the life that Christ is calling us to live, which we see Him living in scriptures. What fuels our desire to know Christ? To be attentive to his presence in every aspect of our life, relying on him throughout our day, and finding our satisfaction in him alone. Isn't part of it that we see so many compelling qualities about Christ that we desire for our own life as well, that we want to display his character in this world? Last week, we talked about the vision that Jesus gave To his followers. When he was kind of wrapping up his time here on earth and he knew that the time was drawing near for him to go to the cross, he got his disciples together and he said, Guys, listen, you guys are going to do greater things than I did. Later on, a couple chapters later, he said, You guys will bear much fruit. But there are going to be a couple of uh, qualifiers in order for that to happen. First, the power, the faith, the courage that you're going to need to do those things, I'm going to supply for you. He said, when I go to be with the Father, I'm going to send you uh, my spirit. And that spirit is going to live inside of you. The very essence and presence of God and all the power that he has is going to be alive in you. That was God's part. He said, I'm going to help you accomplish these things. I'm going to give you my spirit. Our part, we said, first of all, was to believe that we were actually capable. When God said, hey, you're going to do greater things, to believe it could be true. And then secondly, as we looked at in John 15, Jesus gives us this image, and we looked at the first 10 verses of John 15, and and in those 10 verses, the the phrase remain in me was there 10 times. And God describes our life as as us being a branch connected to him, which is this life-giving vine. And he says, if you remain in me and stay connected, I'm going to give you the power and the ability to produce all this fruit in your life when we talk about getting a vision for our life by looking at Christ, it's easy to kind of skim around on the surface. As we go and we look at these stories and we see Jesus' interaction with people and we see so many things about the way that he, he loved people, the way that he forgave them and showed grace and mercy and compassion and he even shared things that were difficult but were even drawn to his truth, his honesty. And we have all of these stories good intentions to try harder to be like him, thinking that maybe in our own kind of self-discipline that somehow we can imitate him on our own. With sincere desire, we look at a verse like Colossians 3.5, which says this, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And so we set out to try to kind of clean up our act, you know, to make ourselves a better Christian. We might even gather together You know, an an accountability partner, accountability group, to help to help us have the behaviors that we want to have in our life. And our heart is in the right place. But what we're failing to understand is that there's a much deeper reality, kind of a critical secret ingredient that needs secret ingredient. Sounds like I've got my tongue's heavy. There's a critical secret ingredient that we need in order to live out this this life that God is calling us to to give us the desire to express those qualities. And that's this, is we have to surrender our will. We have to die to ourselves. And that's where things get a little tricky for us. Jesus described this process with very compelling imagery. I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 12 this morning. Page 747 John chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 20. It says, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethleh- Beth- Bethesda in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. That I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. What sticks out to you guys when you, when you read that passage? What did, you, what did you hear? What thoughts come to mind for this morning? Anything stand out, kind of grab your attention as we read that? Yeah. Okay? Yeah, that's good right there. That's fine. He's talking about that, that passage in there about hating your life uh, in this world. And uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about that a little bit more as well. Yeah, anything else? Anything else stand out to you? Yeah, Nicomas. yeah Uh, okay good Jesus understanding that this road was going to happen for him but it was going to be better for all people that's a great observation you must have a really great coach man we really don't run we just do bible study every afternoon no anything else So the scene that we're looking at here, it begins with this group of Greeks. And these Greeks were probably converts to Judaism, and they had, had probably come down uh, to Jerusalem. This is during the Passover feast. This is during the last week of Jesus' life. So it's this, this, this celebration, this holiday that pilgrims, Jewish pilgrims from all over the Mediterranean world would come to Jerusalem. And so they get there, and they've heard about this guy named Jesus, and so they want to see him. And so they find one of his disciples and say, hey, we'd like to see Jesus And so they go and they tell Jesus, and Jesus gives them this very curious answer. He says, the time is approaching for me to be glorified. And then he begins talking about a kernel of wheat falling to the ground and dying. Now, I'm the last person to be giving you guys any kind of lessons on botany. But I do understand this, that you have to take a seed, and you have to put it in the ground, and you have to cover it up with some dirt, or or it has to die in order for something to grow, in order for it to produce much fruit or many seeds, as we talked about. So what is Jesus saying here? I think what he's saying to this group of people that want to see him is that if you really want to see me, that it's going to involve death. In verse 26, Jesus said, whoever serves me must follow me. Where is Jesus going? As we said, this is the last week of his life. He's going to the cross. He's going to his death. If you want to see me, be prepared to become like me. Prepare yourself to follow me on this road that I'm going. The word gospel that we call, you know, these first four stories literally means good tale, T-A-L-E, okay? Or we've translated good news a lot of times. So my question for you this morning is, is that good news? Is that part of the story, the part of the story about in order for us to be with Christ, to be like Christ, to be a follower of his, means that we have to follow him to his death, is that good news to us? We need to wrestle with that a little bit, I think, before we just jump out and say, yeah, that's great news. Because whenever Jesus went around and he taught, people would come and see him And they were really attracted when he was telling them about how much grace and love he had for them and he was healing them and doing all these miraculous things. But most of the time in the Gospels, if you read it, when he started talking about what it would be like for somebody to follow him, the crowds started to drift away and whittle down. When it started to become personal about, oh, wow, (laughs) you mean in order to follow you, I'm going to have to die to my selfish nature? People thought a little bit harder about it we've turned the cross into a fashion symbol in our culture we've taken it and we've we've kind of cleaned up the bloody mess that it really was and we've decorated it we've put diamonds on it we've turned it into necklaces and, and earrings and bracelets we've turned it into really cool t-shirts that have the silver beads all over the place you know i kind of like those when I was in college, one of the verses that I memorized was Philippians 3.10. Philippians 3.10, you probably know it or are familiar with it, it goes like this. I want to know Christ. That's a great start, isn't it? I mean, who doesn't wanna know Christ, okay? So he's off to the good start. Second part of that says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Yes, you know, Paul, I'm with you, man, power. That sounds good, right? And then the next part says, and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Starting to lose a little bit of steam for us, isn't it? That doesn't sound quite as exciting. And then it concludes with becoming like him in his death. Wah, wah, right? (laughs) Total bummer of a conclusion to that, you know, thing that started out so well, right? A huge obstacle for us. I think in in our American culture today is we are so far removed from the culture in which this was written, a culture of persecution, that when we hear these images about suffering and death, it just kind of falls on deaf ears. It's really hard for us to connect and understand that the call to follow Christ is really a hard calling. The vision of becoming like Christ by following Him on His path towards death is both a hard and a glorious calling. John Piper put it like this. He said, if we only see the hard part, we will miss the power and the freedom. If we only see the glorious part, we will minimize the sacrifice. I titled this message, Is All of the Gospel Good News?, Because there are certain parts of the story of Christ that sound really appealing to us, don't they? I mean, when we first heard, you know, that Jesus loved us, that he created us in his image, and that even though we chose to disobey him and kind of go down our own path, that that he came to rescue us and save us through his death on the cross, and that just by confessing our sin and, and asking to receive this free gift of grace, that we can have eternal life with him, I mean, that story sells, doesn't it, on Sunday morning at church camps, at revivals, people will line up for that message. But there's this whole other part of the story as well. The whole gospel includes the hard and glorious calling to die, and that's the part of the message that people don't want to talk about quite so much. And you see, it's important for us. We have to believe that the entire gospel is good news. Because how we view God's plans for us is gonna affect our desire to have intimacy with him. If we believe truly following him in our life means that there might be some pain and we can't see the benefit of that, then what we're gonna do is we're gonna keep God at kind of a safe distance. And we're gonna kind of dictate to him what, what we're willing to do, how far we're willing to follow him in life. We'll stay on the surface, and we'll outwardly do the right things. We'll go to church, and we'll be in Bible studies and, and uh, you know, small groups, and we'll serve, we'll tithe. We'll do whatever we need to except go to the deeper places where God is really calling us to really question and examine our selfish nature and what in, in us needs to ultimately be put to death. And so, my hunch is that most of us here this morning are living in this in between place. This place where we really desire the good things that God wants to do for us, but we're a little reluctant to follow Him down this road of putting our, our selfish nature to death, resisting those painful places that are necessary in order for us to travel and experience the abundant life that He's called us to. And, and the, the amazing things that he wants us to do, what it's going to take to accomplish those things. If that's true for you, I know it is for me. I find myself in that middle ground a lot. The good thing is is that we can all take comfort in Christ. See, we have to remember that Christ had this dual nature. He was completely God and he was completely man at the same time. And on his road to the cross, in, in in his humanity, he prayed and he said, God, if there is any other way for you to accomplish What you want to accomplish, saving the world, without me having to go die on the cross, I vote for that plan. All right? You see it in verse 27. Nicomus pointed out, it said, Christ said, my heart is troubled. My heart is troubled over this path to death that you're asking me to take. Open your Bibles uh, to Matthew 26. Kind of hold your finger there on John 12. Turn back a couple books to Matthew 26. We're going to start in verse 36. This was on the night that Jesus was arrested. It said, Then Jesus went with his disciples, verse 36, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup or this plan that you have for me be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. what do you see in christ yeah they humanness it's real it's very strong desire to, not do have to do. yeah 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 you see his humanness you you see this really strong desire in him to not have to to do that I think sometimes we kind of skip over this scene, and we just kind of say, okay, Jesus had to do this, and so then, hey, there he is on the cross, and then he's resurrected, and woo you know, everything's great. There's this whole other wrestling process that was going on there that was very troubling. <laughs> Anybody else? Just anything that stood out? Yeah. Yeah, what I see here is that um, he also seen during his prayers that man was fall short. hmm Yeah, 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 he's saying he saw our weakness to not even be able to just be with him in that moment and pray and keep watch, kid. Yeah, this battle that we have between our desire, which is, man, we want to be, we want to be the person God wants us to be, but then there's this fleshly part of us that just wrestles and struggles to to even follow through for their best friend on the night when they need him the most yeah it's natural for us to want to avoid pain right unless you're really sick right but intimacy with Christ as you can see from Jesus's example here it often looks like wrestling not cuddling it's not always warm and fuzzy Rejecting our selfish desire for independence and control and choosing to live in a life in a way that leads to the abundant life God has for us, it is a daily battle. Let's look at the facts for a moment. Flip back over to John chapter 12. This passage that we read earlier, it contains four hard things and four rewarding things. It starts off with this hard thing. It says that, you know, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it won't be fruitful and multiply like it was intended to. So death to our sinful nature and sometimes physical death is really the only way the gospel spreads. It's really the best plan. Secondly, Christ says we must hate our life in this world. And what he's talking about there is just attachment. That we wouldn't have anything in this world that would distract us from serving and loving God wholeheartedly. We need to hate anything that keeps us from being wholeheartedly obedient and following Him. Thirdly, He says, Whoever serves me must follow me. So to call ourselves a Christian means that we need to put both of our feet firmly planted on this path that leads to the cross, that leads to the death of our sinful nature. That's what it means to identify with Him. Finally, He says that we must take the posture of a servant. Our call as followers of Christ is to humble ourselves and to be a servant, not only to Christ, but to everyone. So that is a list of four really hard requirements. It's it's, a lot of times the parts they leave out of a lot of the gospel messages you might hear. But there are also some very great benefits listed here as well for rewarding things that God promises will come as a result of these sacrifices. First he says, If a seed dies, that it's going to bear much fruit, that, that God will take our sacrifice and he will multiply it and use it for his kingdom. Second, if we detach ourselves from the things that the world has to offer, he says that he'll offer us these eternal things, these things that will really last. Thirdly, he says, by following Christ's path towards the cross, we will find ourselves in his presence. He said, he promises, where I am, my servant will be also. We will be with Christ when we're on this road of suffering. Finally, Jesus says, My Father will honor the one who serves me. So what gives us the ability to joyfully endure the hard parts of the good news? Well, we have to ultimately value the rewarding parts. Is producing fruit in our life is being with Jesus, is honor being honored by our Father something that we really value? Is it something that we value more than being popular or well-liked or well-paid or affirmed or appreciated or anything else this world has to offer? More than life being comfortable for us, more than... Are plans going the way we want them to? Those are hard questions. When I was a a younger man, younger in my faith, early 20s, mid-20s, I probably would have told you that I really valued those things, those rewards that God had for me, but if you'd have just watched my life, you would have found out that that really wasn't true. What I really valued was, was control, doing things the way I wanted to, having my life turn out according to my plan. I wanted the things this world had to offer, the big house, the the nice things. That's really what I valued. How did Jesus find it within himself to follow through on such a painful plan that God had laid out for his life? He could only do it and find joy in it if he kept the big picture in mind. We see the big picture in verse 32 of John chapter eight. It says this, when I am lifted up from the earth, and really what he's describing is, is when he is nailed to the cross and a lifted up and that cross is set into the ground, he says, I will draw all men to myself. That was the joy set before him. You see the writer of Hebrews, he says, you know, Keep your eyes on Christ, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Jesus loved and valued each of us at a level that compelled him to be willing to lay down his life so that we could all be united with him forever. And Peter and John, who were a couple of his just closest friends, his most uh, faithful followers most of the time, They understood this motivation behind the sacrifices of following Christ. If you see some of their letters that they write later on, if you look at 1 John 3.16. Go ahead and get that up. It says this, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. 1 Peter 1.22 says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. See, Jesus and his early followers who had learned from his example, they cared for people deeply to the point where the hard parts about following Christ were greatly outweighed by the glorious possibilities. They desperately wanted to see that the people that they knew, these Jews that they had had grown up with and and had a kindred spirit with to really know the truth the truth about grace and forgiveness and life and love at a level that they never dreamed possible when we wake up every morning what is it that dictates the way in which we live our day isn't it what we ultimately value and what we value is probably driven by a vision for the impact that our life could make. Which then fuels our desire to live within certain guiding principles in our life. Jesus' vision for each of us is that we would be imitators of him. And we know what Jesus did. He laid down his life for us. And then he calls us and says, I want you to lay down your life for your brothers and sisters in this world. And only when our desire to see the lost and broken people that surround us at our school and on our teams and in our classrooms and our neighborhoods and our workplace, only when our desire to see those people fully alive, fully connected to God, outweighs or or overrides our desire to live life the way we want to in our self-centered flesh, which usually involves seeking comfort at all costs, Will we truly have the heart of Christ in this world? Unless we die to our selfish nature, we will remain a single seed. But if we die, if we daily take up our cross and follow Christ, we will make ourselves available for God to say, you know what, I want to use you. And I want to take your little sacrifice and I want to multiply it to impact this world the question that we must ask ourselves is this. What must die in us? What must die in our church to create an environment for God to do the things that he wants to do, the greater things that we talked about? How are we getting in the way of what God wants to do? And then we need to be open to hearing what that is and obedient to follow it. You see, with Jesus, it was always about self-sacrifice. It was always about what do I need to do so that other people might know the amazing love that my Father has for them. And so Jesus was drawn to prayer. He was drawn to intimacy. The things that we're talking about, uh, you know, trying to connect with, with the desire for those things, what gave him the desire was this picture he had of you and I. And everybody that he's ever created being healed and restored and abundant and full, living the life that we were called to live. That was the big picture, the vision that kept him going when the sacrifices seemed overwhelming. Be careful in picking and choosing the parts of the gospel that you're willing to embrace. We can't have Jesus on our own terms. If we truly want to see him... We must travel the same path that he did, the path that led him to pray, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And then obediently, when God said, this is the only way it can happen, he laid down his life. He surrendered. And he said, all right, I'll do that so that others might know you. Do you have a vision for how God might want to use you to draw all men to him? And does that dictate the way in which you get up every morning and live your life and the things that you ultimately value? So I'll say it again. We've been saying it here for a couple of weeks. You have to have vision, you have to know what it is you're doing and why you're living each and every day. Because if you don't, you're not going to have the desire to connect with Him. Because your focus is going to be self centered. And you'll think that you can just get by on your own and that nobody's, you know, benefiting or, or being harmed by your lack of connection with Christ. And the reality is, is that the, the least connected we are and, and the more into ourselves we are, we are missing opportunity after opportunity. God is just looking at us and waiting and saying, man, when are you going to come to me? When are you going to remain in me so that I can do something? I've got people all around you that I want to use you to connect with." that I want to use you to show the love of Christ to, I'm just waiting for you. What needs to die in you so that he can use you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of the gospel. Because as much as we love to receive these good things from you, it is good for us to die. It is good for us to humbly come to you and say, Lord, I've just got some things in me that are ugly, that are self-centered, that are hindering me from being an instrument that you can fully use. God, and I need you to, to crucify those things. Lord, I already know that, that as followers of Christ, guys, we are dead God's word says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. That's our position. But we have to practice that truth daily. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, they must take up their cross and follow me daily. Every day, we have to get up in the morning and say, God, I want to cooperate with you as you try to kill my flesh so that I can be used by you to produce much fruit in this world. I pray that that would be our desire, God. In Jesus' name, amen.